Everything begins with your mindset. If you think I can't raise my prices or if you walk around and say, I can't hire anybody, you can't get good people. If you think that, that's what you're going to get. You get what you look for. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep dive. Hey, Khalil. <laughs> hey, Martin. <laughs> Guess how much I deadlifted this morning? Deadlifted. Um, I think I think you're at three fifteen. Three oh five. That's a. Uh, so I'm. I, I, I've. I, I expect more out of you. Is basically what I'm <laughs> well, saying. Well, I expect more too, but the weights are. There was a, there was a lot of gravity today, right? Oh, yeah. At this time of year, gravity is a little bit yeah, heavier. Yeah, there, there are phases. A lot of people don't know about that, but uh, a lot of golfers do. They start hitting shank yeah. shots, a lot of gravity. No, 305's not a whole lot, uh, it, but it's an RPR. That's a it's good a, amount. It's an RPR for me. Uh, uh, I don't... I don't know many people your age that are deadlifting 305. Just saying, just saying. Well, but yeah, my I call it a recent personal a record because I don't like to compare myself to when I was 30, uh, and I don't remember. <laughs> but I remember I used to warm up with 315. But I'm happy. I'll be 71 wow. tomorrow. So uh, I know. Within, I was about to say happy birthday within a within a day or so. So yeah, I was real proud of that. Yeah. I've been working working hard to do it, and. Uh, you know, you're picking it up and is it going to go? And then you got to think about your lower back and you say, well, you either go for it or you don't. And then it goes up and you go, I'll be damned. Anyway, didn't mean, <laughs> didn't mean to use foul language. How, what's your, what's your workout setup? Like you've got a trainer or you're at a gym. What, how does that oh, work? Um, I'm at a gym and my trainer actually left. Uh, I don't know if you knew that Josh left. He still owns the oh. gym, but he's oh. doing some other things. So I have an app and, uh, they prepare my workouts. I, I don't like to have to think okay. about what I'm going to do. I want to go in there and do it. And, uh, I like the app. What app are you using? Oh, I, I can tell you what the symbol looks like, <laughs> but I don't true coach or something like that. Uh, but they and just, what does it do? It just gives you a workout each day. Well, it gives you the workouts and then they have videos there. It, it's, uh, I have two days that are really weightlifting. Then the other two days are uh, more conditioning, like uh, CrossFit and EMOMs. You okay. know what EMOMs are? Every minute on the minute, every, is that right? Every minute on the minute, yeah. And you'll have six or maybe eight um, exercises to do continuously, and you're supposed to uh, do them for 40 seconds and rest 20. And I just go from cycle to cycle, and it just works out a lot gotcha. of your body and also gets you a little bit aerobic out so yeah and are, what is it what does your gym membership cost because it's like a crossfit gym is that right yeah it's uh, 199 a month and it's a okay. it's and a bar they have workouts too i'm sorry who they have workouts for you too or no oh it's i mean my coach works for the gym and the gym's just where i do it okay but it's a gotcha there's not there's not a machine in the place i mean literally there is there are no machines and, uh, it's kind of a big barn kind of banging. Mm -hmm. There are people doing Olympic lifting and there's crashing and old school and 
it's my kind of my my kind of place. I really really okay. enjoy it. And I tell you, for people who yes. a lot of our listeners do work out, and people a lot don't, but even if you don't go kill yourself, I used to think you had to kill yourself when you went in the gym or rode a bike, or if you didn't, if you weren't yeah. completely wasted, you didn't work hard. But going to the gym regularly, you just there's an element I'll I'll call it pride, but or self confidence or something that hey, I'm doing this, you know, even if it mm-hmm. was a disappointing workout or like only getting 305 instead of 315. Thank you for reminding me, Khalil. But I will. I'll let you know when it happens. You'll get there. Yeah, there. there's just... Well, I think... I agree. I, I think for myself, I, perfect example. Um, I'm still young uh, and I definitely prioritized good things in my life, work, family, um, friendships, things like that. But definitely let myself go working out wise. I weighed in two weeks ago at 206 point something. You weigh 206? Most I've ever weighed in my life. Really? I know. It doesn't, every time I tell someone that, they're like, you do not look 206. No, you do not. But. There's good 206 and there's not good 206. I would, I think I'm on the bad spectrum of that. (laughs) Anyways, most of our (laughs) weight in my life. And uh, I, was like shocked when I saw it because I hadn't weighed myself in forever. And I was like, I can't, this can't happen. So, um, yeah, I'm up to this morning, 200. So lost six pounds in two weeks, but intermittent fasting and going to the gym every day. And I'm not going to the gym. I don't have time. I, or I don't make the time maybe I should say, but I don't have time to do an hour and half workout, but I just set a timer. I go in for 45 minutes and like 24, 20 minutes, 25 minutes roughly is only in the sauna. I'm just going to decompress, clear my head, not think about anything. And then I've got whatever, 20 minutes or so to do a workout and I'm just doing whatever I can. Push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, pulling out the dumbbells, getting on a machine, whatever. And it's been great. I feel better. Um, I I weigh less, but also like my mental clarity is great. Yeah, I've I've got a client who is an MMA fighter. I, I don't coach him on being an MMA fighter, but he and I, <laughs> we talk about it all the time. He gets up at 4.30 when he has a fight, which he just had a big fight last weekend, um, and then backs off a little bit and then starts again. And mm. I get up at 5.30 to go to the gym, and a lot of our contractor friends think that's not early, but for me, that's where the, that's where the action is. I have to put my feet on the floor and stand up and once yeah. i've done that then i get moving and then you get to the gym you warm up you feel good and you're glad and i've been either biking or running or going to the gym for 45 years now and i will say about the gym i've never in my life ever left the gym feeling worse than i did going in even when i hurt myself mm-hmm. there's just a sense yeah. of a con- anyway it's it's things can be going bad at work or just all kinds of problems, but that's something that's positive. I did it, you know, so. And- yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think there's times where I'm I'm stressed out about work, um, big projects running behind or whatever. And I think, oh, I got to put more time in. But every time that I've been in that situation and I take a break and I go on a run or I go to the gym, I can step back with so much more right. clarity, so right. much more motivation. 
and actually get something done. And you know, that wasn't necessarily what we were gonna talk about today, but people who listen to us uh, used to spin in the winter when I was biking. I biked pretty seriously for 15 years, bicycle. But in the winter, mm -hmm. to stay current, we'd go to this spin either three or four times a week. And there were a group of us in there who all knew each other, been going a long time, and then new people would come in. And they would, I mean, I just know, because it's true of me too, that intimidated, not because we're imposing, but I don't know what I'm doing. These guys are all real good. If they just knew what we really thought was, matter of fact, we'd tell them, thanks for coming. You know, come back. First time you go to a spin class, don't put any tension on. Just put your feet on the floor. Make, just get here and get to be part of it and gradually do it, and your life will change. And that yeah. I so if you see somebody that's obviously very overweight walking in the neighborhood, I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't want to stop yeah. them, but I'm thinking, get it, yeah, you're doing it, let's go, you know, just yeah, I get, I feel thrilled for them, and so anybody that's on the cusp but thinking they, oh, I don't look good in workout stuff or whatever, whatever the reason is for not going, just start and. Don't put any weight on the bar. Yeah. Don't put any tension on the spin bike. Just get in the habit of going and your life will change. It will, absolutely. And I think that uh, it's as a business owner, it's, it's stressful. It feels like everything's on your shoulders. And at times there's things that you can't control that you want to control, but you can absolutely control working out. Right. You can control showing up to the gym. Right. And even just getting some control in the midst of a situation where you don't have as much control or it's very difficult to have control makes you feel better and allows you to approach problems differently, in my opinion. So, um, no, really good stuff. We didn't plan on talking about that, no, but we have there's to, 10 minutes We have it. to revisit weight real quickly here, though. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I weigh 200 uh, even this morning when I was biking. Wow, me and you both. Yeah. Yeah, Look there you that. go. We're... Simpatico on the podcast scene. When I was biking, I weighed 175. And, uh, yeah. you know, at the time I thought, oh, I got to lose weight. I mean, it's weird how your brain works. You know, it's, it's also why you need to have good books in your business. And so that you can look back at the end of the year and say, hey, it has changed. But that's 25 pounds. And I could tell because people would ask me if I was all right, you know. Are you, are you feeling okay? Yeah. Man, what's going on? Got cancer, you know? No, I'm just riding my bike a lot. <laughs> but oblivious yeah. to it. And now I'm 200 and think, well, I weigh too much. Or, uh, it doesn't matter what I think, but uh, I'm not really worrying about it. But that's the, the change that comes over you. Try to wow. eat well. Well, our 200s look different because I'm 5'11 and you're 6'2". No. So I don't know what I am spread out. I used to be, I used to be, but I'm yeah. not anymore. So I wanted to talk about something today. Okay. Um, and it kind of touches on like low level labor, um, kind of that entry level, probably where you have the most turnover. Um, probably a lot of people that didn't graduate, even high school, maybe, um, maybe have a criminal history, uh, or maybe they're still in high school <laughs> or, you know, right out of they high school. Get, they get out of homeroom to go vote. 
I had a guy when I was in high school got out of, got out of home room to go vote, and that's when the voting age was 21. <laughs> had to that's have a hilarious. pass from the principal. That's great. Well, I, obviously, there's huge challenges with that uh, that demographic in terms of hiring, and you got to figure out a way to make it work. And I heard two things this past week that I thought were really great. Um, one of them was from the My First Million podcast. Have you ever have I ever talked to you about that one? No. What uh, I'm I'm not familiar. What is it? So My First Million is Sean Puri. He's tech guy has sold a startup unicorn or something like that, you know, multimillionaire. And then, um, I'm blanking on the other guy's name right now, but it'll come to me, uh, another tech guy. And so, um, they do a podcast much like we do and talk about different business ideas. It started as my first million. They interviewed people who made their first million and how they did it. Uh, and then it just came up that changed to being more of like how to start a million dollar company, really great podcast. People should check it out. But in this one, they were talking about uh, previous ventures that had failed. And this guy, Sean, had tried to start like the sushi uh, Chipotle, essentially, where like sushi bar, you go by, they make it in front of you, all that kind of stuff, and wanted to become the next Chipotle, but for sushi. And uh, he actually did, you know, was able to do it for one location, but started running into trouble as they got bigger and had multiple locations. And he got the chance to talk to the COO of Chipotle at one point. And basically <laughs> Chipotle knows that they're not in like the food business game. Like the whole thing that they're about is trying to maximize the retention and user experience capabilities of a $9 an hour employee. Like they are in a labor game. That's the name of the game for them. The, the system will work, but they need to find the people that can run the system and will keep running the system uh, without the turnover. And so it's just a really interesting thing uh, to think about that they're not thinking in terms of operations. They're not thinking in terms of systems or whatever. They're just, they're thinking about the labor entirely. That's all they're focused on. Um, and one thing from that that I, I thought was interesting was how they incentivize and it really starts with that middle management of how they incentivize those middle management people. And one of the things they do, you know, out, there's obviously all the things that you see at Starbucks and all these places, like we'll pay for your college education mm -hmm. and, you know, health insurance available, all these different benefits, but different things that they do. One of them was um, if you're a manager and one of your employees becomes a manager at another location, even like an assistant manager, uh, that is an automatic $5,000 bonus, like boom. And if they, when they get promoted to like a general manager of a restaurant or something like that, you get like a $15,000 bonus just right there. So obviously as a manager, you're thinking, how can I develop people? Cause that's a payday. Right. Right. Um, that's, then a good idea. that's also the only way that's the only way that you can get a increase in title as a manager. Uh, once you've made it to like a certain tier, like you've moved from assistant, you know, team lead to assistant manager to, you know, general manager of the restaurant, the only way people. you can increase your title and wow. your pay is by having an employee, uh, jump to that level. So pretty interesting, uh, concept there. And we've talked, we've tried, we've talked about incentives before plenty of times and I'd, I've never heard that one. Um, oh, I, think so I thought it, that was I think cool. It's brilliant. Yeah. 
the the other thing, have you ever seen, you know, we've probably talked about some matrixes before, but have you ever seen the will, um, the willing and able um, I matrix? Have, I have not. Tell me about it. What's the willing and able? So like you, so you have two access, right? Uh, you have the willing on the X and the able on the Y, right? And so there's four quadrants there. There's willing and able. Those are great people on your team that you need to keep, that you need to promote, that you need to get into management um, and kind of be your role models. Then you've got the willing and unable. And those are the people, this again goes to that lower level labor pool. But if they're, if they're willing, but they're unable, you need to spend some time developing that person, training them. Because if they're willing, that's the values, that's the culture that you're trying to create. And so you want to make sure that you've got the um, those people in a good place. After six months, you should be able to say, okay, this person is just not able because it's not that hard to work here. They are, have a good attitude, but they're really just not putting in right. the work or whatever it is, right? Then you've got willing, uh, unwilling but able. This is where people run into challenges, where they've got that lower level employee who can do it and shows up every once in a while, but they're not really willing. And those are the ones that destroy your culture because people look around, they see that this guy can do it, but he's not, he's not doing it and he's sticking around. Well, why would I want to keep working then? You know, if I'm treating the same way as this guy, I'm just going to do less. So, you know, what do you uh, be less willing? What do they suggest that you do about that? Get rid of them. Out. Yeah. And Out well, what do you immediately? That is a consistent problem. Um, mm -hmm. Donald Miller has a great little. I, I think I saw it in a video or something, but he just said, "Don't choose to confuse yourself." He said, write out this sentence. The unfortunate thing about blank is blank. Therefore, I must blank. Because perhaps some listeners don't have trouble letting people go. Most of the people I work with do. Uh, even uh, Berkshire Hathaway. What's his name? Ed Guy. Who is it? <laughs> the richest man in the world. Warren Buffett? Warren Buffett, yeah. Went to high school with my dad. Uh, can't remember his name. But he wow. wrote an article and he was just talking about how he hated letting people go. He said, I'll dwell on it. I'll agonize over it. I'll suck my thumb. And then eventually I'll do it. Right. And so how, how do you suppose you make that determination? Is it just all subjective? Do they talk about that? That somebody's just not going to be able to do it. Yeah. I'm sure it's super subjective to your business, but... I mean, if you've got systems in place and you've done thorough training, you've, I mean, when you know, you know, right? Like when you've gone through it and you can, you know, you see after two weeks, oh, they're slacking a little bit. You have a conversation with them and say, hey, I remember I expect this. This is who I want you to model it after. And they're not doing it. I mean, you know, yeah. we all know when someone's not putting the effort in. And I think that's part of the hard part is, you know, because they are able, you're looking at, well, I've done this with an employee. They're, they're so capable. Like they have the, the talent, they have the skills, but they're just, they're not showing up like they should be. Well, let, let me ask you a question. Everyone notices. If you kind, yeah. kind of what maybe where you're heading with that is can people change and can you change them? 
What What are your thoughts on that? That That's a question that comes up know. all the time. I think, I think people can change, but I don't know that as a business owner, you should make it your responsibility to start to try to change someone because it's messy work. Right. I think people can change. I really do. But I think the context is what matters there. And if you start trying to change the context for somebody, you're spending your time on something you shouldn't be spending your time on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, I don't know. Tough. What do you think? Well, uh, what I think I got from books, right? I've never had an original thought. <laughs> There's a great book out there called uh, <laughs> First Break All the Rules by Buckingham and Kaufman. It's pretty based on 80,000 interviews with the Gallup organization with managers. And their consensus is people can change, but they're not going to. Don't waste your time trying to put in what God left out. Mm. And uh, yeah. I, I can think of examples. I matter of fact, one right picture in my head of a young lady who was not doing well, got called on the carpet, changed completely, and now is an absolute star. So it can happen. And, but that's a tough, tough decision for people. But I, I agree, kind of agree with you. The default is kind of use Donald Miller's thing. The unfortunate thing about this person is they're ruining my culture. They're uh, costing me money. Be, or, you know, I have to go and work because they don't show whatever it is. Therefore, what I must do is, and when you simplify it like that, it is I must let them go and then do it. And that burden will be off your shoulder. One thing I always say, and I'm not the only one, is that everybody has a place in the world. Yours isn't here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the great things that I've really enjoyed about coaching soccer is that it gives me the opportunity to kind of see this stuff play out and see what's possible, what's not possible. Um, you know, in terms of hiring, I don't get to, I get to decide who makes the team, who doesn't, but I'm restricted by like who goes to the school and stuff like that. But one of the things I can see right away is what's going to cause someone to change, what's going to motivate them, um, what incentives can I put in place to get them to work hard. I get to have the difficult conversations about why they're not getting playing time um, or they've got bad grades, they're not showing up to practice, whatever it is. And so I get a lot of reps with these kinds of conversations, obviously a different setting, but it's it's good practice. And in terms of getting someone to change, and especially on that willing side, and we'll just call it effort as far as putting in the effort, um, it's what I've what I've noticed is it's much less to do with you and way more to do with what's going on in their world. There's so many factors that you can't control. And I think that's where you run into challenges as a business owner trying to keep this person around and help them or you know, their value, you see the potential value they can bring to your team if they would just do X or if they just put in that effort. And the reality is there's so many things that you can't control to make them have that effort. I can talk to them about playing time. I can try to punish them with consequences. But at the end of the day, there's just something going on at home. There's something going on in their own world that I have no influence over. Um, and at the same time, it's pretty consistent that if if they're if they're not gonna give effort on day one, then there there's probably nothing gonna change that to get them effort on day 10 or day hundred. It's the people that work hard, work hard. The people that don't, don't. Right. And yeah, they may be talented, but it is. It, there's no quicker way for me to hurt our team 
than by letting someone who doesn't put the work in start the game. Right. Everyone's upset. They don't feel like they were a part of it. It's it's like that movie Miracle. Do you remember that? Um, no. Where the guy comes in, he's a hot. It was the 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 hockey movie uh, based on true story of the nineteen eighty Olympic hockey team. Oh yeah, I watched that game live, in, but this, I don't rem I don't remember the movie. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, the guy with the American well, basically, flag. They on go his through back. this crazy training camp. They go through the crazy training camp and have to. It's brutal. Like everyone busted their ass for months to be able to be a part of this team. And then this hot shot comes in last minute to join the team and everyone's pissed. Like he he didn't he didn't, he go, didn't through earn he had to go through. Right. And they get the coach to take him off the team. And he's off the team. And so just uh I, I think it's the same thing. Like the team recognizes when someone's unfairly given opportunity, you know? Yes, sir. Well, I don't know. I've, I've told you about some of the things I've been working on this week with clients. Themes tend to run in uh, in themes around here. <laughs> What's the theme this week? Well, pricing. Um, I have three clients come in and uh, got a new client, remain unnamed, but there's, they've been around a long time. They said, but nowadays we're just not making any money. And uh, so we started you know, talking about they don't have good books at this point, but they have knowledge. So we started talking about things and this issue and that issue. And I said, well, all of those issues are because you're losing money. End of discussion. Well, we can't raise our prices. I said, really? There, one, I had a prospect who's not a client come in here one day and said, hell, I can go broke on the beach. See, I can sit in a lawn chair on the beach with my toes in the water and go broke and I, I'll break, I'll go broke at zero, right? Or I can stay working my butt off for a year, lose a half a million dollars and go broke and they take my house, which probably won't do, but you get, you get the point. So you reach a point where yeah. you say, I've got to do something about this. And the first thing uh, that we've talked with, with all three this week is that idea of a statement that says, I can't raise my prices. Well, that's your head trash. And I looked at a review on uh, one of their, it was a favorable review. And it said, these guys were absolutely fantastic. I had one company come out and they wanted $30,000 and they wanted me to do all this stuff, do the job. And I found these guys and they did it for $1,200. Okay. What's the first thing that runs through your mind? You know, I didn't take the $30,000 job. These guys did it for $1,200. Well, probably different scope. I mean, I'm going to guess, but I'm also going to say if that's true, you could have been the low bidder at $29,000, right? And I started thinking like that and said, well, you have to decide that if I'm going to go broke, I'm going to do it on the beach. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to go out there and sit on the beach and just go to zero, right? Run up credit card debt maybe. But if I'm going to stay in this, I'm going to make it work. And that requires... The unfortunate thing about blank is blank, therefore I must blank. The unfortunate thing about the way I bid jobs is that I'm persistently losing money, therefore I must do, and there are really two things, raise my prices or lower my costs, or preferably you do both. And uh, it's kind of been a, an eye-opener to them, but as just in brief conversations, 
it goes back to what what's the source of somebody who's losing money, and it's almost always the same. It's their head trash. I can't charge this much. So, yeah. Well, the had a, a client in Virginia to send me a bid. We've been talking about how to bid, and I want to talk a few points about that too. But um, he does certain he does roof repairs, repairs slate roofs. He'll probably listen to this. I won't use his name, but um, he sent me. We talked about raising prices and making it where you are absolutely making money and you make enough money that you still make money even if you mess up a little bit. Um, and he sent me a quote and he had uh, sent, you know, a uh, text. And he had sent the uh, quote to the customer and he sent a text that said, hey, I'm just following up on that bid. Any questions? The guy answers. He says, you're more than twice the other guy. And then his question, my client's question to me was, what do you, what, should I respond to anything? And I said, there might be another coach out there with some kind of great answer, but my answer was no. Number one, you don't know that you really were twice. People say that kind of stuff all the time. And second, you don't ever want to be in a position of talking somebody into the bid. So where did he go wrong? And um, the answer to that's in two places. If you're going to charge more than the competition, you have to give people a reason other than price to buy from you. So we start looking at what is that. And it's the way you, we can do a whole episode on that, and I think we should. But it's, uh, you take your insurance certificates, you take your testimonials, you spend time with them, you show them what you're going to do, you bring a positioning document that we've talked about before, you dim, you, you're polite, you, do, you look good, you demonstrate that at that point. If you go out there when the customer's not even at home, you look at the roof or look at the job, and you go home and you work up a bid and email it to them, they've got nothing except a number to look at, and you've lost your opportunity. Yeah. So the guy emails me back the next day. He got a job for eight grand, <laughs> right? Which is a, which is a nice little job for him. Said, yeah, you can't. You you have to give them a reason, and if you're just emailing in your bids. We're telling them on the text them, well, it'll be $24,000. They've got nothing else to go on. They're not going to, they're not, they're, they're going to choose low bid. They default to price every time. So that's one of those things. Yeah. And, and it's coming up all the time. So it's head trash and it's the missed opportunity to distinguish yourself, to make yourself different. Um, and it's the follow up. So they're thinking, ah, oh, everybody's just the same. They email me the bid and they'll come do the work. Well, they're not the same. And if you don't know why you're not the same, then you're missing your opportunity to do it. You're a low price bidder. I mean, you're a low price company. It makes me think of a couple of things that I've seen. Um, one is like the frame matters more than the product. Um, and this comes from like the, the art world kind of, where, you know, if you go into a gallery, art gallery, everything's going to be really spaced out and they're going to, you know, the, the main portrait that they want you to see is going to be on its, on a wall by itself. And that's, what's going to make it feel so special. It's the same thing that, you know, helped Apple and Apple stores really succeed is that typically you'd go to like a Best Buy or a, back in the day, maybe a circuit city 
and it would just be chaos, technology everywhere, things stacked together on shelves to fit as much tech as possible in there for people to be able to buy. But if you walk into an Apple store, it's like each device, there's only one of it. So there's some like scarcity there. And then if you look at the table, it's like, it's clean. There's no right. wires. You can't see wires anywhere. And they're spaced out heavily. And so it feels very clean and organized and it feels special when you're looking at it. The same thing goes for, you know, if you've got a commodity product that anybody can do and you've got a lot of competition, how can you change the frame of it? The way that you approach the person to talk about it, the way that you follow up, the things that you focus on more than others, right? You know, how can you change your frame rather than thinking about, oh, my product's worthless, right? right. And I think in many ways, it's the same thing, like, if you think about your skills, like your skills are worthless, but your context is invaluable. Just like, yeah, maybe you were telling me earlier about um, some contractor that really wanted to get into a, a new target audience and like work right. with designers. Is that right? right. Yeah. He, uh, um, what was that? Um, it's a guy in Denver, probably will hear this, but he's a new client. I think you've worked with okay. him on some things, but he's a new client and you can talk in marketing for uh, contractors about you can spend five thousand a month on AdWords or fifteen thousand dollars a month and buy billboard. You know you can spend all this money, but there are some alternatives out there that are force multipliers, and that's to deal with I'll call them influencers, but people who deal with the same market you do. And in this case, in there, and right off the top of my head, uh, for contractors. You have general contractors, you have designers, um, you have some suppliers like paint suppliers. Um, you have people who are working, architects. architects who are working in the same space you are. And what I asked this young man to do, he's already working with some designers, but and he's a remodeler in a large metropolitan area. And what I asked him to do, his assignment for this week, uh, was to go talk to at least 10 designers in a two-week period and approach them with this. I am wanting to become the remodeler of choice for the finest designers in this area. In order to do that, I need to know what displeases you about the contractors you've worked with and what pleases you about the contractors you've worked with. And he already did that and emailed me a partial list and it's amazing. Um, what is on the list, as you would suspect, is communication, honest. They actually say, don't be a liar, right? Well, you think, okay, I'm not going to put on there. I am not a liar on my positioning document. But they came up with a couple of things that I did not expect that we have to capitalize on. And among them were, you're open to design changes, right? you're willing to look at my designs and tell me that can't be done or that can be done, but it's an, it's a horrendous price. Don't talk when you have problems, don't scare the client, come and talk to me about it. Right? So you're protecting their reputation. You're protecting their profit. You're keeping them from looking stupid for designing a cantilevered flobus that can't be built, you know? And my immediate thought was, those designers are inviting him into their very inner circle, okay? 
So if you say, that's yeah. what I'm going to do, I'm going to communicate. I'm going to uh, talk to you, communication in general. I'm going to talk to you specifically about problems before I talk to the client. Mm-hmm. You, and you have to then do those things, right? And that doesn't just mean you have to do them. You have to have craftsmen on the job who aren't out there complaining and moaning and talking about how stupid it is in front of the client, right? So it gives you a map to build your business. And then if you decide that's what I'm going to do, you have to do it. And people are open to do that for anybody. Um, I mean, with the the architects, the suppliers, uh, designers, maybe builders, if you want to work for builders or want to be a preferred vendor for builders or general contractors, take that time to say, hey, look, I want to be everybody's first choice. What do I have to look like to do that? If you successfully distinguish yourself in all those categories that will come up from having asked, they're not going to leave you for a dollar, right? I mean, you no. think about the issues and, you have as a company. Yeah, I would say that's a... Go ahead. Yeah, I would say that's like, I call them people of trust um, for your end consumer, right? right? So if the homeowner you're working with or maybe the uh, developer that you're working with or the GC, everyone's got a person of trust. It's their word of mouth network, right? And if you can think of the entire process from start to finish of where the end consumer or your customers, uh, the process they go through, think of yourself downstream and think of what's upstream. So for, we've already mentioned some of them, but it is the architect, it is the designer, it is the GC, it is the um, insurance agent or the real estate agent. Uh, There's someone upstream that's a person of trust. And if you can figure out how to serve that person of trust to keep them as a person of trust, to amplify their trust with their, their customers and consumers and make them feel good about referring you and passing work along to you and whatever, I mean, you're gonna be so much better off than trying to do, you know, ad campaigns on Facebook, trying to get people to click and all this kind of stuff. I mean, word of mouth is by far the biggest source of business. So just try to amplify that by finding people that will give you more word of mouth and have a trustworthy um, voice in your customer's ear. Yeah. Having, having said that, um, you're not suggesting that we let people off the hook. They need a good website, right? This day and age, (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, they need it. Th- there's certain things that you yeah, like are, are table stakes, right? right? You've got to, at a certain level, like you've got to have at least like a name for your business, right? right? <laughs> but you, I mean, you've got to have certain things in place and you're going to get business through those. Yeah. You should be doing something on Facebook if that's a good channel for you. You should be doing something on Google My Business if that's a channel for you. Those things really do matter. But at the end of the day, like some of the best thing, one of the best channels that you can focus on for your business is just use the people of trust in your customer's ear that talk, talk to, to the same, understand audience. them, yeah. help them win and they'll help you win. Yeah, yeah. I think the point I like to make to people is let's exhaust the low hanging fruit, hate the cliche, but of force exactly. multipliers. I'd rather talk to five designers and get 25 jobs then talk to 200, do 200 bids to get 25 jobs, right? And you get to know them, you become trusted, you understand what they want that maybe they haven't articulated, and you get better and better at it. And that costs you a lot less than $15,000 a month for a television campaign, 
not saying that at some point you don't need to do television, but uh, it's the low-hanging fruit. And so that's thinking who are those false force multipliers for you, uh, the people who are trusted and yeah. do business with the same uh, audience, target market that you're after. Yeah, and it, 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 it is a low-hanging fruit, and you know it's, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy. It's it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. We talked about that with Nolan Bradbury right. a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I think at the same time, you don't always have to do something new. I think people think like, oh, I gotta you know increase, you know, the amount of revenue I'm bringing in or the amount of leads I have. What can I do that's new? I mean, first, can you just optimize what you've already done? Right. If you're if you've got a really good channel that's been working for you and gotten you to this point, can you double down on it? How can you squeeze the most out of that before trying something new that you've got to experiment with, you got to test, you got to figure out if it works, you've got to invest money into, you've got to learn how to, you know, the knowledge and the know-how for that channel. Um, it's usually just not not as uh, efficient as going for the low-hanging fruit and optimizing what you've already got in place. And the idea of searching for what your collaborators, your influencers want is an extension of something that we've talked about before. It's pain times a vision. What you don't want articulated times what you have a vision for how things should run need to be greater than resistance. We talk, we've talked about that before. And generally, I talk about it in context with my clients along the line of, I need to know what you want to get away from, and I need to know clearly what you want to get toward. Otherwise, you're not going to do the work to change. So I'm usually talking to my clients first about that. But it occurs to me, it occurred to me a long time ago, that's true of everything. That's the sales formula. When you're selling to somebody, your role is not to tell them how great you are and how much you've done. If they want to ask, you can tell them. But it's to find out what their pain is, what they don't want, and what they do want and have a vision for. And if you can articulate that back to them and give that to them, you're going to be the hero. So it's true of the owner. It's true of the customer. It's true of the people who work for you. Uh, jumping back to how you started this podcast, what do they not want and what do they want? And the better you understand that, the better. It's never about you, ever, ever. Uh, and it just works out that if you provide for others, it'll come back at you in a in a tidal wave yeah but if you're going directly for i got to get this out of that guy it's i just say good luck if that's what you're thinking so it's that uh, identifying what yeah. other people don't want what's bothering them and what they do want their ideal future that's your role in life in, with everybody with the influencers your employees yourself yeah. uh, your customers everybody that's your role find that out are we doing that on this podcast? Uh, we, maybe. Maybe. We need knows? to ask people to send in what do they not want and what do they want so we can address them specifically. Yeah. Well, people send us questions. Yeah. We appreciate those. If you have one, send us an email in the show notes. Um, trying to think about how to wrap this up, Martin. I've got an idea uh, for that. Okay. What's that? That everything, everything begins with your mindset. I'll use the cliche of abundance mm, okay. versus... What do you mean? That if... It sounds so cliche, but it's... You know, where there's a cliche, there's a reason, right? 
if you think you can or think you sure. can't, I think Henry Ford said that, you're right. And if yep. you think I can't raise my prices or if you walk around and say, I can't hire anybody, you can't get good people, millennials don't work, right? You're a millennial, Khalil. I don't know anybody works mm -hmm. as hard as you <laughs> and my daughter Katie work. Uh, if, if you think that, that's what you're going to get. You, you get what you look for, even if you're looking for it subconsciously. So there comes, you know, what's the trigger that causes you to change your mindset? And I've used this before. It came from Jim Rohn. Um, he says disgust is such a powerful word. It kind of has a negative denotation. But the connotation is I'm sick and tired of this. And that sick and tired of it is the point where you realize, hey, I've lost money this year. I am paying people to do their jobs. I can go broke on the beach. I am not going to do that anymore. And that gives you the power within yourself, even if you don't feel confident about it, to go in and raise your prices, to take the extra steps to say, well, I need to meet with you. I'm not going to drive by your place and mail you in a bid for your roof because I have no opportunity to show who I am. Yeah, but I'll lose that sale. Say, right. You'll lose that sale and you'll lose less money because you didn't do that job for a loss. Right. So it's, it's yeah. your mindset is everything. And all, I got to say that probably every client I've ever had came to me because they'd reached some epiphany in mindset. I don't know how to do this. Um, I had a man yesterday say, I have to humble myself. You know, I have to realize it and humble myself and ask for help. And I said, okay, but humble, it's kind of a strong word. It's, I hope it's not humbling to ask for help uh, because we can't do everything. But something has to spark that. And, and just use of that word humble kind of implies there was a mind block in there about maybe pride or not pride, not arrogant pride anyway, but this idea that I'm the owner, I'm the boss, everybody looks to me, I should be able to do everything. Well, you can't. And even if you could, it wouldn't be the best use of your time to do everything. And even if you could, I'm quite certain there are professionals in specific areas that can do it much better than you can. Right? So, but that idea yeah. that I'm humbling myself if I ask for help. I love this guy. Don't, don't read me wrong. But that kind of shows you a mindset. Says, no, it makes great sense. It's smart to ask for help. And I think probably every client I've yeah. ever had has reached that point where otherwise I wouldn't have been talking to them. Yeah. It's interesting how uh, I can do it all is actually a limiting belief. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's uh, crazy how that works. No, it's it's really good. I think, you know, something that I, there's a, I forget what it's called, but it's a, a handbook for how to deal with the devil or something like that. I don't know if you know the, yes, I know you do, this the story of Jesus in the desert for 40 yeah. days. Yeah. Um, being tempted yeah. by the devil. And there's a guy, uh, a monk from, I don't know, the 10th century or something like that, went out into Egypt and, you know, was tempted by the devil, went basically to the same True, exercise really. as Jesus. And he wrote down all the lies that he faced out there. And then he, um, you know, like, I'm not a good husband or um, even lies like, 
oh, I deserve a better wife or, you know, things, whatever it was that he, he was going through in his life and that he was being tempted with. And then he created a handbook for himself of how to combat to those them. lies. And he used uh, scripture to like reinforce like truth in his life and stuff like that. And I think in many ways it would be very productive as a business owner to have a handbook to deal with some of this head trash, you know? Well, the um, first the first thing, and it's not easy, and I know we've talked about it before, but the first thing is to recognize your head trash. It's to recognize it. Yeah. And as we've said before, 90, 95% of what we do is in our subconscious, and we don't even realize we're, mm -hmm. we're uh, controlling ourselves with our subconscious beliefs and thoughts. If you can make them visible, such as millennials don't like to work. Well, is that true? Hell no, it's not true. There's some knuckleheads out there that are getting a lot of press. But there are a lot of millennials that work their tails off. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, you know, well, maybe we can. And if you have that yeah. positive attitude and you're talking to a millennial, you might be able to hire somebody. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it, with this hand, like with lies in general, they are deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires in a normalized society. So for example, millennials just don't want to work. That is a deceptive idea, but it's playing to my disordered desire of, oh, well, now I don't have, I have an excuse right. now that I don't have to go and find someone or, you know, and that idea is then normalized. Everyone else is saying it. And so you believe it. And now you're, you're in this place where you don't believe anybody's going to work and there's nothing you can do to solve it. Yeah. There's you know? a whole lot of normalized beliefs right now that aren't true. Just, oh yeah. In my opinion. Oh yeah. Everywhere. They're, they're all around you. And that's why it's important to know truth, you know, to have an objective truth. It goes back to, um, rules are all around us, right? Uh, you gotta, you gotta pay your bills on time. You gotta, uh, follow the speed limit. Uh, you gotta park in certain spots. There's rules that, you know, most people want to follow in life and they do just because it's a rule. We're taught that you follow the rules, but why not create rules in your life for yourself to follow? Like, how can we leverage that, that behavior of, oh, we follow rules or I like to follow the rules or I want to follow the rules. Okay. Well then why not create rules for yourself? And I've heard a really good one recently that I'm would love to implement, but it's very difficult when you run a remote company. Um, never said, this guy made a rule that he never says yes on a phone call to a, to a, to someone pitching him something, to someone asking him for a favor. He never says yes on the phone. He only says yes in person. Huh. And so if somebody pitches him said, I, you know, I want to think about that a little bit. Why don't we have a meeting about it? And what that does is it, it keeps his, to-do list much more focused and less at the, on the, at the whim of whoever's giving him a phone call. Um, but it also gives him time to think and to, to really make a, a good decision, a wise and discerning decision. Um, so I'm going to start uh, talking to vendors in Paris because that way I can get a trip to France before I <laughs> say yes. Hey, it's a good idea. You know, I, I only say yes when I am, at a resort. So if you want to take me out. Well, ask me about, um, I've been doing a little research because I think about other things, but along the lines of truth and common, 
common truths and so on. Okay. Ask me if I discovered anything this week. Did you discover anything about truth this week, Martin? Hey, I'm glad you asked, you know. <laughs> uh, just reading, uh, listening to some stuff about climate change. I don't want to go all into climate change. It certainly is changing, but lots of uh, platitudes out there. But somebody, matter of fact, I asked ChatGPT because I'd read it somewhere. I said, what has happened to the CO2 emissions in the United States since 1990? And ChatGPT came back with the, oh, it's gone up because of all this stuff, you know. Well, I had the opportunity to correct ChatGPT because okay. I looked it Tell up. tell me. In 1990, the CO2 emissions in the United States were about 4.8 million kilotons. That's a lot. Okay. okay. In 2020, the total car CO2 emissions in the United States were 4.3 mega kilotons. That's less. That's not per capita. If you did per capita, you have more people that go down per capita. No, that's the total emissions. They're almost, well, that's just talk CO2. And in that same time period, our economy has increased 500%. Mm. Source, epa.gov. Wow. And there are other sources out there. That's a truth, but that's not what people would think if you just ask them. Sure. Right? Now, did I take us completely off topic? I just want to talk about there are, there are things out there. When you say know the truth, people say, well, truth can be what you want it to be and Eh, you know, there's some things that are behavioral physics. Yeah. There's some real truths there, but it it's don't accept it. Don't have that mindset of, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, let me look that up. And I did yeah. look it up on some radical flat earth website, epa.gov. Look it up. So flat how's earth. that for ending a, a podcast on business, right? I think it's good. I didn't realize, I, you know, I didn't think that we'd get be taken all the way to flat earth, but. Uh, no, this is good, man, Martin. Um, thanks for doing an impromptu improv session. Uh, hopefully sure. it's valuable for our listeners. Everyone listening to the cashflow contractor. Thank you for your time and attention. Check out our show notes for a few different resources, but also for a way to get in contact with us, like subscribe, follow, do all the things on social media, YouTube, especially we've got a lot of great content there and trying to grow that channel. So we appreciate you giving us your energy um, and we will see you on the next episode hey welcome any questions welcome any questions thanks martin thanks for listening to the cash flow contractor check out our website in the show notes or visit the